So as as we are saying, next week being Hanukkah, so I'm not sure if we'll be end up having a class or um, what exactly the topic will be at this stage, but what I thought I would do this week is to cover off on the Archaim, both Archaim in this week's parsha and in next week's Sedra as well. So the topic that I want to discuss is the Archaim's approach to Bechira Chavshas. There's a famous Archaim in next week's Sedra that everyone quotes, but no one quotes the Archaim from this week's Sedra, which I think is also relevant to the conversation. So first, the background. Obviously, we know the story next week, Sedra, about Yosef and his dreams. Yosef had dreams. The dad um, tried to uh, calm down the brothers from uh, being so jealous. It didn't work. The brothers uh, end up selling him as a slave, and the rest is history. But to go a little bit more in depth, the Archaim explains, and we mentioned this last week, that the brothers initially felt that Yasef's dreams were the result of his dreaming about being, or his fantasizing, or his thinking about his being their leader. As we mentioned last week, the Gemara Bracha says that a person has a dream about what he thinks about during the day. And so the Gemara there gives an example that a certain king um, wanted to know what he was going to dream about because he said the rabbis are really smart. So the rabbi told him something very scary and he thought about it all day and he dreamed about it at night. Wow, big deal. So the brothers are angry at Yosef. Right? They, say, they say to Yosef, you're gonna you're gonna be our king, you're gonna be our master, our Lord. Meaning you're dreaming about that. We know you're dreaming about that. How do we know we're dreaming about that? Because that's why you're dreaming about it at night. You're fantasizing about that. That's what you're thinking about all day. So therefore you're having dreams about it at night. But it's not a legitimate dream. However, the second dream says the Arachaim was different. The second dream was the dream of the sun and the moon, the stars, they're all bowing down to Yasef. And Yaakov himself says, Am I going to come with your mother? You think I, Jacob, your father, is going to bow down to you? Is your mother, who's no longer here, going to bow down to you? So, his father tried to dissuade the brothers from the dream. It says the Archaim, the brothers were getting the, the, the Pasuk tells us, they were really jealous of him now. Why, says the Archaim? Because Yosef, no matter how big of an ego he had, was certainly not going to be dreaming of his dad bowing down to him. As much as he was fantasizing about having his brothers bow down to him, let's say he did. Let's say he was really fantasizing about that. He really wanted his brothers to bow down to him. But there would be a limitation. The limitation would not, it would not go to his father. It would not go to his parents. So the fact that he had such a dream where his parents are bowing down to him, that, for the brothers, that tells you, says the Archaim, 
the 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 doubt, the confusion that they had, they weren't hundred percent clear. Is it is he dreaming about? Is he fantasizing about this all day, and that's why he's having these dreams, or is this a legitimate dream? But when he has a dream that his father's going to bow down to him, then it removes the suffix. So that they had thought that the dream had come about because of his thoughts. For sure, he never thought that his dad, right, his deceased mother, should be bowing down to him. And therefore, it's clear that this is this is some sort of a heavenly thing. This is heavenly. This is a real dream. Therefore, they're jealous. Once they know that this is not just Yosef making stuff up because this is what he's fantasizing about, then the 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 jealousy gets that much more powerful. The jealousy becomes that much more powerful because of the fact that the 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 brothers know that Yosef's megalo quote unquote megalomania is not going to be reaching a point where he thinks his dad is going to bow down. Once another demon is from Shemayim, then they have reason to really be jealous, despite Yaakov's protestations and attempt to mollify them. The Archaim asks, and again, we're discussing in next week's Sedra, because next week's Sedra is going to be Hanukkah. The Archaim, and we're going to combine this week with next week. Everyone talks about the next week, the Archaim, but no one talks about the this week. So, obviously, Yaakov knew that the brothers didn't like Yosef. That's why he attempted to try to mollify them. He says, uh, it's not possible. It's not going to happen. So he tries. He attempts. doesn't work. The brothers, obviously, still really angry at him. The question is, for the Archaim, how could Yaakov have sent Yosef straight into the lion's den? How could he do that? At the end of the day, he sees that the brothers don't like him. How aware he was, let's put that in doubt for a second. He doesn't know that they're going to kill him, let's assume. But how could he send them in? Let's assume he just knows that they don't like him. Why would you do that? Take him away from the protection of the family, you know, the castle. Take him away from the, from the, from the home and heart. And now you're sending him out into, into obvious danger? Why do it? So the Orachim, this is the Baal's Orachim. Says Orachim like this, the Pasuk, um, it's Parag Lam Zayn, Pasuk Yigimah. L'cha ve'esh l'cha. Here, says the Orachim, L'cha etel achicha. I'm going to send you to your brothers. Ve'im ata choshesh l'sinasam. Ah, you're worried about the fact that they hate you. And so therefore, it's dangerous. Ha'renim l'avcha v'shalachacha b'dvar mitzvah. I'm sending you on a mission to do a mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? To go do what I ask. I ask you to go find out how they're doing. Says the Archaim, I'm sending you on a mitzvah. And we have a concept. The concept is that the shluchim mitzvah enam nizakim. They don't get hurt. Shluchim mitzvah don't get hurt. So therefore, Yaakov, says the Archaim, as a presumption, Yaakov is assuming that, yes, the brothers don't like him. He's not assuming that they would kill him. He would not have sent him for that. He's assuming they don't like him. Ah, how are you going to put him in a dangerous situation? They don't like him. Who knows what they're going to do? Maybe they won't kill him. Maybe they'll hurt him. Maybe they'll, they'll beat him up. 
How could he do it? On this, the Archaim is answering that the reason he could do it was because of the fact that he's a shliach. He is, you know, um, uh, not to use this as a legitimate example, but as a caveat or a havdo. You know, in Harry Potter, when when um, you know the Dumbledore uh, magician is trying to protect Harry, what does he do? He he does some sort of a magic that Harry can't move. He can't get himself involved in this fight at the end of the books. There, he protects him. He sort of like puts a a, a spell on him where he can't move. So Yaakov is, as it were, putting a protection around Yosef by giving him a shlichus and making him a shliach mitzvah. He's ensconced in the protection of Shlach Mitzvah. So now he can go do the mission. Even if he won't be comfortable, he will be safe. This is the thesis of the Archaim. It's based on the Mark. The Mark appears in a few places. The Mark tells us, the Mark says like this. The Mark says that um, when it comes to Pesach, you're going to do with the Kaschamitz. The question is if you have to put your, your hand into a chor, into like a hole. Let's imagine you have a hole in the wall. And maybe you had some comments in it. You have to check. So the Gemara says, like, You don't have to. Why? Because of the fact that it's dangerous. It's dangerous to do that. My Sakana. The like, Gemara wants to know, what is the Sakana of putting your hand into the wall? If you're going to say that the reason it's a Sakana is because maybe there's some snake or scorpion hanging out in the hole in the wall. So I don't understand. And how are you using it? Why would there be chametz in there? Because you're using it. Why wouldn't there be a fear of the akri, of the of the of the nachash in there? Right. Obviously, there's not a fear of an akri. So you're saying that you don't have to put your hand into the wall. Why not? You're saying it's because of the akri. Then you would never be using it. So if you never use it, you would never have to check it. The only way you have to check it is because you do use it. Obviously, if you do use it. It's not an akri issue. Says the Gemara. Uh-huh. So you know what we say. Maybe it's not the akrif. Rather, what we're going to say is the nafal. You're not using that hole. It's uh, maybe a place where, where you know, chametz by mistake fell. Sometimes if it by mistake fell, so you don't need any bedik at all because we know if you have let's say chametz, uh, and then uh, a wall fell down on your chametz, you don't have to check. Why? Because it's considered already like a beer over there. So it's the same thing. You don't use this. You're never going into this place. So whatever, it's gone. So the Gemara says, if that's the situation, you never really use it. So then, then it's like considered like it's already mevayer. So then, why do you have to? Why do you have to discuss here this concept that you're not mechayev to check? Of course, you're not mechayev to check. So that the Gemara says because there's a difference between the situation where the wall falls on a on the comments versus here. What's that? A dog. A dog would not be able to get the comments under a rock pile, but he could somehow scrounge his way to get. This chametz that's hidden into the wall. So therefore, you would consider that you could potentially um, get this chametz. Then you have to check. We're telling you now that you don't have to check. Why do you have to check? Because of the fact that there is an accurate. Why would there be an accurate fear? Because again, you don't use it. If you actually had used it, you would not obviously be fearing it. So then there would be no fear. That's the Gemara. So the Gemara says, I don't understand. You're telling me that now. Right, you do have a theoretical requirement to check, if not for the danger of the akrav. Why is there a danger of an akrav? Don't we say shlicha mitzvah, not nezaykin? Don't you say the idea that if somebody's ensconced with the protection of doing a mitzvah, they're not going to be harmed? So why would you assume that this person is going to be harmed? 
Why do we have to be afraid of it? He's doing a mitzvah. So on that, the Gemara says that maybe maybe he had some other thing that fell in, a machat, a jewel, who knows, something else fell in. He's not just looking for the bread. He really has ulterior motives. So if he really has ulterior motives, so then we're saying that that's the reason that we're telling him not to go look. Don't look because you're not really looking the Shema. If you were looking the Shema just for the Chamas, then you'd be ensconced with the protection. But since you were really looking for something else, so therefore your very looking is not a mitzvah that's you know um, giving you security. And since you have ulterior motives, it would not protect you. In that case, the Akiv could hurt you. And therefore, the halach is that you don't have to check. So we took a simple statement that says, you don't have to put your hand into the hole in the wall because maybe there's a, a thing and an akrav, and how could that be relevant if you're shulach mitzvah? Relevant because maybe you look for something else, not just that. So therefore, therefore you're not required to check. So the Gemara says that that doesn't seem correct because the Gemara says other situations where somebody is doing something with ulterior motives. For example, if somebody says, I want to give stuka and on this question that for this, my, 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 my son should live, my, my parents should live, whatever. That's not considered bad. That's considered Ben Allah Muhammad, the person that's not a gummer. It's fantastic. Yeah, he has an ulterior motive. It's fine. So ulterior motives are fine. If ulterior motives are fine, so then you should still be considered Shlech Mitzvah. And if you should still be considered Shlech Mitzvah, then when you put your hand on the wall, you should be protected, even if you want to go after the, 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 the needle or the jewel or whatever it is you have in there. So therefore, what do you mean that you're saying that you don't have the requirement to put your whole into the uh, hand into the wall to find the thumb because of the fact you're looking for something else. So what? Even if you're looking for something else, you should still be protected. So therefore, if you're still protected, you should be looking for it. That's the Gemara's kasha. Um, on that, the Gemara says, Dilma basar debodik The Gemara ends up answering that you're right. A shluch and mitzvah is not going to be nizak, even if he's not 100% got all the right motives. Even if he has ulterior motivations, still, shluch and mitzvah are not nizakin. What's the issue over here? The issue over here was not merely putting his hand into the wall um, to get the check for chametz. He already checked for chametz. But maybe he's going to check later on. He's going to check afterwards. He's going to look, he's going to look after he already search for chametz. He's going to look for that machat again. He's already in the midst of Now he's just looking to see if maybe he left the needle or the jewel or the whatever it is in the wall. So in that situation, you don't longer have the protection of being a shlach mitzvah. You've already done the mitzvah. So if you've already done the mitzvah and the mitzvah is not protecting you, therefore you would be susceptible, liable, potential to be harmed. That's how the first answer of the Gemara understands this case. Comes out a situation, why not? The Shlech Mitzvah really is protected. Yes, even in ulterior motives, he's protected. You know when he's not protected? After the Mitzvah is already done. After the Mitzvah is already done, then you're not protected. This is one part, answer of the Gemara. But there's a second answer of the Gemara. The second answer of the Gemara is Rabbi Nachman Yitzhak, who says it's Sakhanas Hagoyim. In other words, he takes the Gemara's situation of saying that you're not supposed to put your hand into the wall, the, in the hole in the wall, to go check and see if there's comments. And says that we're not talking about a wall in your house in a normal situation. We're talking about a wall that's outside, right? Or so somehow it's a wall that's shared with a guy. And what's the issue then? The issue is if the guy sees your hand in his in, in a shared wall, he's going to think you're doing magic. 
and you're going to be making tricks on him and doing something negative to him, he's going to get angry and he's going to hurt you. So I said, what are you talking about? What kind of situation is that? If you use the wall, then obviously you're not afraid of him hurting you. So the Umar says that's the difference between the day and the night. If you're doing it by day, so then the guy sees you and he's not scared of you pulling magic on him. But if he sees you doing it at night, he'll be really scared about you pulling magic on him. Okay. So you, if you're really scared about putting he's going to be um, concerned about doing you know magic on you when he, when he sees you at night, then um, there's a danger. This is the shita of a person named Pelimai. Pelimai is, uh, is uh, not a... Um, um, that we come across that often in Shas. He's most famous, I think, for his uh, appearance in the morning, the end of Kedusha. The Gemara over there says that um, a bunch of rabbis who used to they used to like make fun of the the Sahara. They used to say, yeah, they were they were uh, they were making chizik. They were they were demeaning the Sahara. That doesn't really have much power over them, but. Um, and the Gemara says a story about Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Meir. The Gemara says a story there about Rabbi Chibar Ashi, I think, that um, that he was always, Davine should never be harmed by the Yitzhahara. And, and his wife's like, this man doesn't, he's such a holy person, he has no intimacy with me, like, what should he be afraid of? So she dresses herself up like some, some well-known harlot, and he ends up, um, what he thought succumbing to sin, it wasn't sin, because it was his wife, but he ends up like going and puts himself into a bad situation into an oven, whatever. Um, and they saw the Hasida who screams out to the town that there's a big fire in his home, so they should come in and prevent him from doing a sin. And among all these stories of what seems to be potential licentiousness in a way of the Gemara sort of intimating that even though we say that. Mark Newman says that somebody who sins once or twice, that's Shub Enechaita. Somebody who doesn't sin prevents himself from sinning because he's not going to sin. But it's possible. It's still possible. Even the greatest of the great can end up, you know, until the day of death, you're not supposed to have too much confidence in yourself. And the more they bring in the story of this Pulima, that what Pulima used to do, he used to make fun of the Satan also that he has you know, no power over him. And the Satan comes to his house, Ervin Kipper. And he's very hungry, dressed himself like a beggar, and he asks for food. And they don't want to give him food. He's, you know, sharing their nice meal they're having. And they let him in. Eventually, he says, I'm starving. I did eat before the fast. And then he eats at the table, and he's eating the fat. And he manners to tell him, oh, he some manners. He was a fork. And um, in the end, Palimo is humiliated. He realizes that the person who, you know, was at his table is the Satan himself. And so basically tells them that you have to you have to act more appropriately. So in this situation, we have Plimo's coming in and arguing with the with 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 the Tanakama. Tanakama says that because it's the kind of the Goyim, um, we're not worried. Well, you put your hand into the wall. If it you find anything, great. If you don't find it, you're done. You don't have to go all the way deep into it. You do that. Whatever your hand gets into, it's enough. Plimo says, no. You don't have to do anything. Why not? Sakana What's the sakana of the guy? The guy's gonna think you're a magician, making magic on him. I, if you use the wall all the time, then why would you think you're making magic on him by day? I'm sorry, why are you making magic on him all the time? Oh, because you normally use it by day, not by night. By night, he's gonna think you're doing magic. Fine. So therefore it comes out the situation we say that somebody who has in Mikhaiban Islam, they don't have to check these holes. 
according to the second answer of the Gemara, is because of the seat of Philemon, who holds that you don't have to check because you're afraid that the guy are going to, your neighbor is going to think that you're pulling magic on him. That's the two different approaches of the Gemara is to explain what is the what is the reason that you don't have to check into the whole. Either we're going with the fact that it's you have some something of value in there, a needle, a jewel, or something, and you're checking after you already checked, or you share that with a guy, and really you're checking. Why are you checking? You're checking because of the fact. That, I'm sorry, and 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 the reason you don't have to do it is because we go with the sheet of Pulima holds that since it's shared with a guy, he's going to think you're a magician and doing magic tricks on him negatively, therefore you don't have to. Those are the two possibilities. And then the Gemara continues. And the Gemara says like this, I don't understand. Why is Pulima nervous about you getting hurt? You're doing a mitzvah here. You're doing a mitzvah of Belikas comments. And we say, mitzvah in a second. And the Gemara says that in this case, putting your hand into the wall is considered shechicha hazeka. It's considered the 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 damage is very normative. The difference is shechicha hazeka. You you don't have to you don't have to do it. The big bring arrived from a famous case that Shmuel was going in um, in to anoint David Amalek. He didn't know David Amalek was going to anoint one of Yishai's children to be to be the new the new nagid on the Jewish people. Because Shaul had just done what he had done with Amalek, not done what Hashem had asked. And so therefore, Shmuel says, I can't go. If Shaul's going to hear that I'm going to anoint a new king, guess what? He's going to kill me. So Hashem says to Shaul, take a, an animal and say, you're going to bring a carbon. So if he says, I'm going to bring a carbon, then it's not a danger of why Shmuel's traveling. Shmuel used to do a circuit all the time, so that's why he's traveling. He's doing a carbon for whatever reason in that area. That's fine. Why? Gemara asking Yuma, why is it that she wants to say this? A lie. It's a it's a shluch mitzvah. Hashem told him on a mission to go do something. Says the Gemara because the shchicha, the hazeka, the damage is shchicha hazeka. It's very commonplace. It's very normal. It's very expected. David for sure is going to be uh, sorry. Shmuel is for sure going to be killed by Shaul if he finds out. So as a result, the fact that you're shluch mitzvah has a limitation. So now we. we Discussed in the idea of Shlech Mitzvah, we come up with a limitation. The limitation of Shlech Mitzvah is if it's Shrikh If it's Shrikh even if you hold a Shlech Mitzvah in any second, it doesn't work. That's number one. Number two, number two, the, the, the Gemara then continues. And the Gemara says that what happened um, in a, a story there, Rav, Rav had a bunch of students. They asked him, the students of yours that live Darbabaga, they live in the field, they live in the outside outside of town. They have to travel to get to yeshiva. They have to come in the middle of the night and the day. They have to come at time, you know, when it's dark, when it's dangerous. What's the deal? Are they allowed to do it? So the Gemara says, Boy they should come, and any damage that happens to them is on my head, on my neck. Why is he able to say that with such confidence? So Shluchim says they're coming to learn, so they're ensconced with this protection. I, it's at night. Night is not considered shchichezega. Night is just night. If it's night and there's like real serious problems, that would be different. But we're talking about just the night. The night itself is not shchichezega. 
So um, nasal mind, they ask him, what about to go home? Are they allowed to go home? Do you still consider them shikh as they after they finish the learning? Or maybe now, I'm sorry, do you still consider it the shluch mitzvah after they finish the learning? On that, Rav says, I don't know. Rav says, I don't know. I know they're protected if they're coming to the share. Then they're in sconsor shluch mitzvah. I'm saying if they get hurt, it's on me. Because they're not getting hurt. How do I know they're not getting hurt? Because they're They're coming to learn. What about when they leave? When they leave, I don't know. I don't know. They could get hurt. Why? They don't know what they're They're not going to learn. They're going home. That's one opinion of the Gemara. But then the Gemara brings down another opinion. And the Gemara says, from the name of Rabbi Lezer, they don't get hurt not on the way there, not on the way back. Meaning, on the way to do a mitzvah, and on the way back to do a mitzvah, they don't get hurt either way. And the Gemara brings a raya from, uh, from the Eil Regal. The Pesach says that no one's going to desire your land. That people, what did they have when they went to Eil Regal? They left. The animals were there. No one was watching them. And they didn't get hurt. Why? Because they were shlichem mitzvah. They were going to do a mitzvah. They were going to Eil Regal. And we say about Lejbarim Kavachemer, it's the eighth Boshiori, that just like the situation where it's normative to expect that an animal is going to come along and eat the cow or eat the chicken. Like these are normal things that you would expect. And there, there was no damage, there was no danger to those things because they were protected on the way the person went to the Ragal and on the way back. When he came back, he still had his farm. Everything was still there. He was protected on the way there and on the way back. He was protected the whole time. The whole time, his farm was protected, even though he wasn't there. That is even after the other regular is finished, even though he was no longer doing a mitzvah. Says the Gemara, so therefore that's the proof of Rabbi Lezer, that in a situation where it's not even normative to get have danger, or it's not like a human being automatically going to have danger. If a cow is not being watched, you would expect that the, the mountain lion or, or the bear or somebody's going to come eat him. If the chick is not being watched, you expect Somebody's going to come in, but a human being is not such an expectation. So for sure, you can assume that Bahali Khastan and Machazi Rastan, the person is going to be saved. That is, what we've done now is taken the idea of Shluchim Misa in and and we've expanded it. It doesn't just apply to, we said, it, we, we said a big caveat, it doesn't apply with Shrikh Hazeka, but we, it, it applies not just Bahali Khastan, but also Machazi Rastan. This is the Gemara. Says the Archive. Rechaim there in the next pasuk in Paraglam and Zion pasuk Yud Dalit says the Rechaim Yaakov Avinu is telling Yosef to go and do a journey that's dangerous. Tell him to go do a journey that's dangerous. And we said clearly Yaakov Avinu didn't think he's going to be killed or attempt to be killed because that would be considered shkikat zeka and the and the the shulchan is saying like, wouldn't work. So clearly that's not what he thought. He thought that it was just an uncomfortable situation. But he'll be protected because he's ensconcing him in the aura of Shulchimitz. What's the Shulchimitz? He's going to tell him what happened. Says the Archaim, even more. Says the Archaim, this is why we did the Gemara, because the Archaim is basing his entire understanding of this Gemara. Says the Archaim, Aso Shlicha Shliach Lahaksa Lachuba. What did he say? He said, Lechnar Eeshlem Machicha Vashlem Atzain, Vashiveni Davar. What was the job of Yesen? Was twofold. Go see how they're doing. And tell me, 
Tell me what's going on with them. Tell me how they're doing. It's not merely your job to go see how they're doing. And then only if they're doing bad to let me know. Or not to let me know at all and just take care of whatever the problems are. No. Your job is to tell me everything. I want to know what's going on. So therefore, says Arachayim, Yaakov cloaked Yosef in the aura and the protection of Shlach Mitzvah, both on the way down, Bahali Chasan, and Bahazi Rasan, and on the way back. He did it both ways. So therefore, since he did it both ways, Yosef shouldn't be hurt. Right? If he just went and seen how the brothers were doing, so then he finished the mission. But he wouldn't be protected, then the brothers could hurt him. No. So he says the Archaim, Yaakov protected by saying, I want to know. You have two jobs. Go down and check what's going on, and then come back and tell me so that your job is continuing. So therefore, you're still a Shadrach Mitzvah, and you therefore would still be protected. That's the argument of the Archaim. Then it continues. Says the Archaim that, look, at the end of the day, acknowledges the Archaim that it's true. If Yaakov had an inkling, that the brothers really wanted to kill Yaid. So that's a big caveat. That doesn't work for Shlech Mitzvah. Right? And that we learn from the story of Shmuel. But, says the Arachayim, what was Yaakov thinking? There was obviously some amount of discomfort, some amount of, you know, uh, um, of, um, disquietude, some amount of, of not getting along between the brothers. So, you can say all you want that Yaakov was unaware of the depths of the hatred. Fine. And and he didn't know they were going to kill him. That would be totally fine. Says the Archive, I want to take go a step further. Think back to the Gemara there and stuff. The Machlokas between Plimai and the Rabbis. What's the Machlokas fundamentally about? About the Sakana of the guy. According to the way Plimai understands it, the fact that the guy is going to think that maybe you're a magician, that's Sakana. And therefore, you're not required to go check. But the rabbis disagree. The rabbis who disagree with Pulima say, you do have to put your hand in. You put your hand in until it goes, and that's it. You don't have to go check deep, deep further. No, you just do check. What do you mean? What are they disagree? Why are they disagreeing? What's the disagreement with Pulima about? Nora Ham explains that their disagreement is fundamentally predicated on the fact that according to the way they understood it, the danger wasn't so great. The idea that they may think your gosh name might think you're magic and playing in the, you know something negative, doing something negative, then eh, that's not a real fear. They don't disagree with the caveat that Shulchan Mitzvah and Nizaykin doesn't is in fact correct. They agree that it doesn't work if it's Shrikazek like by Shmuel. Shmuel is a legit danger. King Shaul is going to kill Shmuel if he finds out that he went to go anoint a challenger, a pretend king down there. Right? His mind will be a pretender to the throne. He would have killed Shmuel in a second. That's Shechazek. Everyone agrees, both Plimo and the rabbis, that in that situation, Shulchan Mitzvah and Zagan does not work. That, however, is not what the Chacham is saying. The Chacham are not disagreeing with Plimo fundamentally on it. They agree. What they're disagreeing is practically they're saying that this situation of putting your hand into the wall is not opposite the situation of Shmuel. It's inapposite 
It's not the same level of danger. Is there a fear? Maybe, okay, there's a fear. But it's not shrich Shrich meaning this is not a machlogus on, on an intellectual foundation. It's not like a disagreement on, on a, a debate on something deep, fundamentally halachic in nature. Not at all. It's a practical dispute. According to Polimai, you can, you can conjoin, you can equate the situation of Shmuel with the situation of your neighbor, your gracious neighbor, when you put your hand on the wall to check for the Chamath, he thinks you're pulling magic tricks on And according to the according to the that's not that kind of level of danger. Pasha says the Arachim, Yaakov was unaware of the depths of the hatred that the brothers had for Yaakov, that they would, in theory, kill him. So therefore, if it's not such a danger like a Shmuel situation, so then he has two choices. He can either take the Plimo approach, which is, you know, you take every danger, like, you know, the, the joke about the briskers? There's no fast that a brisker fasts, right? That's, this is true, I think. There's no fast that any brisker fasts except for Yom Kippur. Why? Because if you if you fast, you could die. It's true, you could die. But most people don't die. One day fast, I mean, once you're diabetic, it's not like you're okay. I mean, you don't feel comfortable, you have a headache. It's not the you know, you don't die. So for most people, that's not really a pikuach nefesh kind of situation. Not pikuach nefesh is like all the fasts. No, all the fasts are you doing the best you can. If it does not work out for whatever specific reason, maybe you are dying. Okay, break your fast, sure. And even you know, from there are there are bottom fats, all that you don't have that. You're never you have bad headache, whatever. Fine. But but the Archaim says that Yaakov Avinu he wants to stay held like as it were the position of the Tanakhama. I know it's anachronistic to say it like that, and obviously he didn't think of it in that way. But the basic idea is that he felt that, yes, it was an uncomfortable situation. But an uncomfortable situation, Pazima wants to take that out of proportion. Say, any uncomfortable situation, he's a brisker. It's an uncomfortable situation. We don't go near it. Says Archaim, Yaakov felt differently. He felt that the aura, the cloaking of the Shlech Mitzvah on Yasef would be sufficient to protect him. Even if it was an uncomfortable situation, he would be protected. And he would never have dreamt of the fact that it was truly a danger. That's the part of the Archaim. So since um, since Yaakov is holding like the Tarakam, as it were, um, therefore um, he could send him. It wasn't an issue of sending him, and it wasn't an issue of him not being protected on the way back because he is discussed him with the mitzvah to go and to come back to give him over all the information. So he's a shlech mitzvah in both directions. Since the shlech mitzvah in both directions, and the danger is not so great. So therefore, you can send them into Shlechmetz and we protect. That is the case of Shlechmetz. That is exactly the case. That's the, the word, the approach of the Archaim. And the Archaim wants to, wants to say that, he, that he's bothered by a bit of a question. There's a Gemara in Kedushin. By the end of the first paragraph, Gemara says the, the story um, how, do, how did Acher we should have been had to become not uh, not religious. So there's different reasons. Some the other places say different different approaches. What happened? I had the famous story of um, maybe at his wrist. There were there were um, some rabbis were talking and learning, and, and father saw a big fire, 
decided to dedicate itself to learning, but for the wrong reasons. Although we saw before, the ulterior motive does not so bad. Um, I would say it's because of, you know, the part of the Giga, that we you know, was very acquainted, too acquainted with the Greeks, uh, their music, their literature, their philosophy, etc. Um, but here, Digamark is another approach, and the approach here was that there's two myths in the Torah that say that you're guaranteed one life, right? One is, one is two of them gain, and the other one is, you know, people that have vain. And then there's the Shluch came. The, the story goes that there was a person, his father told him, you know, go do Shluch came. So basically, he's got the double myth, he's got the Kibbara Ha'kein, and he's got Shluch came. Right? He's got two myths, so serious, exactly because of the myths. He's got two myths, both of which promise very long life. And so he's going to do it and he dies. He falls off the ladder and he dies. So, um, so the Gemara says, well, <laughs> And maybe the guy died um, when he was coming down, but how do you know? How do you know that uh, that this violated what the Torah said? Maybe, maybe the Maybe he was thinking about Averis at that time. He really wasn't doing a good stuff. He's a bad guy. The Gemara says, Just having a, a bad thought, nah, that doesn't work. The Gemara maybe he was thinking about Averis around. So the Gemara says, um, you know, maybe you not me Maybe it has to in fact be that way. Why? Because if not, then we have a problem. We have a problem because how else should this person have died when he's not in the middle of doing mitzvahs? He's protected and ensconced by the mitzvah of Shluch Hakain, by the mitzvah of Kibbutz, both of which promise long life, and he's a Shluch mitzvah doing with his from what his dad said. So all these good reasons to say the person should be protected, how could it be not? Such a powerful question. Cause cause the um cause the what do you call cause the uh um, to go off of there. So Mark tries to say that um that uh the again, possibly hot and shiny. But when we say Shluch Mitzvah is not in the Dogen, when they're on the way, not on the way. We said Rebbe Lezer, we supported the Gemara in Pesach, and Rebbe Lezer says Shluch Mitzvah in the Dogen, like Balei Pesach, like Balei Pesach. The Gemara says, Tulam Ruah Havit Kivyezek. You want to know what the situation was with the rickety ladder? This was a situation of Kivyezek, they're going to take them. That is, we have, we have mentioned one caveat, which is Shchicha Zekah. Everything more wants to say another one called Kavua Zeka. Which one is more? We can debate it. But Archaim says that you have to say that this Gemara condition is not a challenge because whatever Yaakov was aware of, which he, he was obviously aware of the president of Yaakov, but he did not think that it rose to the level of Shricha Zeka or Kavua Zeka. He just thought it would be a very uncomfortable encounter. And he thought that for an uncomfortable encounter, it could be protected against by making Mishliach, and not just Bali Chatan, but also Bahazi Ratan. The Gemara's debate is when you are Shlech Mitzvah only in one direction, are you still protected on the way back? The Arachayim is saying, Yaakovin was doing one better. He's making Mishliach Mitzvah, Bahali Chatan, and Bahazi Ratan, so that there should be no doubt about the fact that he's always the Shlech Mitzvah. Therefore, should always be cloaked in that aura. Of protection and therefore should not come to any harm. This is the approach of the Archaim. However, 
However, um, the Archaim wants to argue a few uh, a few uh, paragraphs later. The Archaim says that actually maybe Yosef wasn't Shlech. Why was Yosef not Shlech? Says the Archaim. What was the instruction? What was the instruction that Yaakov gave Yosef? Says Archaim. The hook Yaakov al Vashon dictate bidvaro. Yaakov bin was very careful about what he said. He said, He says, I heard your brothers are shepherding the sheep in Shechem. Go check out what they're doing. Yaakov's command to Yosef was go to Shechem and check out how the brothers were doing. What happened when Yosef came to Shechem? They're gone. They're not there. And he sees the person. He's in the middle of bludgeoning around. He has no idea where he's going. So he asks the person, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? My brothers. So what did the guy say back then? Shomati, I heard that what? That they went to Daisan. Nelcha Daisana. So he says, okay, I'm going to go to Daisan. And that's where the whole thing happened. Says the Archaim. The shlichus that Yaakov gave Yosef was to go to Shechem. That's where he protected him. When Yosef was in Tidim in Shechem, he went to go now look for a different place. This is now his own shlichus. He's doing his own thing. Because Yaakov said, do something like this. And Yosef said, I'm an Ibrahim. It's not working out like this. I know what you really wanted. You really wanted me to find out what the brothers are doing. So they're going to go now check to the next place. I heard now they're in Dyson to go check. If you look at the puzzle carefully, you see that that Yaakov had to tell Yosef why. Right? What does the puzzle say? If you look at the puzzle, if you look at the Thomas, you'll see what it says that Yaakov tells Yosef, Lech nor a Lech nor a And Yosef doesn't do anything. The next book says, Yaakov tried to tell Yosef to go look for the brothers. He didn't give him a place the first time. The second time he did, he said, I heard the brother in Shem, go check it out. Yosef then goes, doesn't find him in Shem, further in Dyson, goes after him. Zarachem is saying something incredible here. He doesn't say what I'm about to say. But perhaps this is what was actually going on. We always assume that Yaakov really wants to know what was going on. Why is that the right assumption? Maybe Yaakov didn't actually care for Yaisit to ever meet the brothers. Maybe, like the Archaim is saying, Yaakov literally wanted Yaisit to go do a dangerous mission. The test wasn't to find the brothers. The test was to go on the dangerous mission. Like Lechazah, right? 
Avramavina thinks that his job is to sacrifice Yitzchak. But who said? Maybe your job was to show your willingness to sacrifice Yitzchak. You made an assumption. You made an assumption. You want to please. You want to be the best. You want to always be the top. So you assume that I have to check this, but I got to do something. Hashem has to say to him, nothing, nothing. I see. I, you got the job done. But what you thought, I never wanted. I never really wanted to actually sacrifice. I wanted to do it. Yaakov wants to get his willingness to sacrifice. To go into an uncomfortable situation. Who says that Yaakov actually wants to find the brothers? That's Yosef's assumption. Who said that was Yaakov? We don't give enough credit to Yaakov being, in this case, a parallelism to Hashem, the story of the Akedah. And maybe this is meant to be Yosef's Akedah. <laughs> Suggest our Yaakov's mission was for Yosef to go to Shem. Yosef decided that Yaakov's mission was what the other brothers were doing. Who said? Sure, that's what Yaakov said then. But maybe Yaakov never had any intention of getting the brother. When he tells him to go specifically to Shechem, maybe he meant specifically to Shechem. The first time around when he says it, he gave it open-ended. Yaakov doesn't go. Why didn't Yaakov go? Maybe because it was too open-ended. So Yaakov says to them specifically, go to Shechem. Check him out. So I'm going to Shem. Yes, I should go running home now. Like I did it. I tried. He's not out there. Maybe that was a bad Yaakov. It's not the point that the Archive is particularly making, but he is making this point in part. In other words, I'm making the point that the Archive is not making. This is a parallel. The Yaakov's testing Yaakov. The testing of Yaakov was not that Yaakov should actually find the brother. Maybe not. Maybe Yaakov's testing to see if he'd be willing to go or he was too pampered, too spoiled, and wouldn't put himself in a dangerous situation. The Archaim is saying Yaakov's mission when he says clearly go to Shechem, it's only Shechem. And now when you're going out, because you really think that dad's mission was to really find out how they're doing, not to see how you're doing, but rather to really see how the brothers are doing. So now you've missed the boat. And now you're doing your own shlichus, your own your own desire for whatever you want to accomplish, but then you no longer have the protection. So therefore, you no longer have the protection for the Archaim. Now it makes perfect sense how Yosef could be harmed. But he's not a shleach mitzvah anymore. He's a shleach one. He's doing what he wanted. He didn't follow to the letter what Yaakov had said. Now, the truth is that obviously Yosef had no idea of the danger he was in. It wasn't just simply Yaakov didn't. No, also Yosef didn't know. Something you die in this archive points out that obviously Yosef was unaware of the mortal danger he was in, or would have been usher for Yosef to listen. Would have if Yosef understood that it was the Kuach Nefesh for him that he was in a very dangerous situation, it would have been usher for him to go. So obviously, both his dad and he did not know. And it could be Yosef didn't know because he was so unaware and so highfalutin and he didn't pay attention. To what the brothers are actually thinking about, right? I mean, you get that impression in the situation of the fact that he's willing to not only say over the first dream, but he's willing to say over the second dream. Like Hazal said that a dream needs a pizzerin, that he has to tell his brothers, maybe. But clearly, 
as at least a halachic matter, Yosef would never have been required to go on the mission if he understood what kind of danger he was actually in. However, Zorachayim, the Prophet Chabala, this is the same as Zorachayim that everybody calls, says that the truth is that there is another reason why Yosef was able to be harmed. In other words, he's given you his reason why Yosef shouldn't have been harmed. He's explained to you how Yaakov you know, went with the position of the Tanakhama as opposed to the might and in relation to the fact that this is not really considered Shishka Zeka or Kabu Zeka, like Gemara and Kedushan, right? Or like Gemara and talking. And, and he's now in a position where he's giving you his fundamental answer. His fundamental answer is like this. A person has freedom of choice. A person has freedom of the will. And a person proving can kill Shimon even if heaven does not want Shimon dead. Heaven does not want Shimon dead. Yeah, Reuven can still kill Shimon. Why? Because he has Bechira. And this is fundamentally different than non-human life. Let's say, for example, animal life. And the lion cannot come and kill you unless heaven has decreed that you ought to be killed. But if heaven has not said a word, heaven wants you to be alive. If heaven is willing you to be alive, nevertheless, Person, what does it mean, Bechira Chavshin? Bechira Chavshin means that if everybody is trying to kill Shimon and Shimon is meant to be alive, so then all of a sudden a, you know, a protective moat comes around and blocks Reuven from killing him? No. Reuven can go against the will of the divine. Bechira Chavshin means no matter what, in the extreme. However, a lion coming down the path, a lion eats up Shimon, would only be able to eat up Shimon if the divine will has been that Shimon should die. But if the divine will is that Shimon should live and Reuben comes along and shoots him in the head, Shimon will die, even though the divine will wants him. The Chirichavshis is so absolute. You know the life of Isaac Bashevis Singer? Isaac is a famous author, right? Isaac Bashevis Singer, he's like Yiddish, not Yiddish person. He would say like this We must have free choice. We have no choice. They have no choice. Yeah. So this is the 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 side of the archive, which comes out then that fundamentally, how is it that Yosef is in danger? He's in danger because of the fact that he has human brothers who want to hurt him. If it was his dogs, his lions, his tigers, his bears, or my, they wouldn't be able to think that if ever wanted to be alive. But even if heaven wants the Isaac to be alive, like no, like no one's business, they heaven wants him there, his brothers still have the right to kill him. So therefore, what that tells you is that you can be a Shlech from today till tomorrow. You can have all the aura of every protection. Heaven wants you to be alive. Everybody wants you to be alive. And it will absolutely not work in Iowa. Again, the fear of corruption. That's the Israel of our time. That is an unbelievable idea. That divine providence is negligible in the face of the freedom of the world. Narachan says the same thing in this week's Sefer. And here he says it even wider. And when he says this, he says it doesn't get. He gets short shrift. It is not, I don't believe, ever quoted. Here's Narachan in Pusik, and Paraglamid Bay's Pusik Yudal. Says Narachan like this. Here he's talking about Yaakov, you know, says, 
It feels very small. I've given me so much, so much good that I've run out of all the great stuff. I no longer am, am deserving of anything. Says Arachai, by the by. I'm not going to the whole Arachai. It says the Arachai was following. It says, it happens. It happens at times. You should know. Hashem wants to do good to a person. The divine providence is smiling on a person. And he will nevertheless be robbed by somebody else's free choice. By somebody else's exercise of the free choice. They're going to rob him. Why are they going to rob him? Because they want his money. I, the divine providence, is smiling at him. So what? The relation of how this relates to the Pasuk over here is because Hashem Yoshev because Hashem wants this person to have good. Hashem is going to fill up the person. Hashem is going to make the person get back, rise up to the top. Right? And the situation, of course, is in relation to Yaakov Avinu. Remember Yaakov Avinu loving and stolen from him so many times and nevertheless Yaakov was still able to get to the top. Why? Because Hashem wants him to go to the top. But what's the Archive saying? To me, the Archive is saying something that much broader than what he said before. It's not merely taking a life. When it comes to rabbi, it means it's talking about anything. Divine providence is such that when it's faced with the freedom of the will of a person exercising their bechirah it can break it down. Hashem will have to replenish it if he wants the person to still have good but the person can be taken away. For the time being, the person can be losing. Because the Bechir HaChavshet dwarfs the Hashkacha process. That's what I see from this line here in the Rechai. I'll just conclude on one famous Sefer HaChinuch. It's a very famous Sefer HaChinuch on the Mitzvah of Nechama. The Sefer HaChinuch gives us a lesson how to live in our life. It says the Sefer HaChinuch, Why should the person not take Nechama? My person's very angry somebody did something negative to them. Um, you know, racist men. Olive, famous kind of says like this. So the person's upset, you know, that uh, they had something negative that happened. My person should understand. Whatever happens to a person, whether it's good or bad, that was decided by Hashem. Hashem is the one who wanted it to happen to that person. Nothing happened out of Hashem wanting a person to have that happen. Therefore, when a person gets hurt, when a person gets somebody who hurts them, when a person has somebody who does something negative to them, they should, why are they blaming that person? Hashem Hashem is brought Gazar Hashem wanted this to happen. Therefore, why are you going to go do the Kamba? It's not the person that did it. The person did nothing. Hashem wanted it. So therefore, it shouldn't do it. This is fundamentally a very different approach than the approach of the Archive. Right? What this is saying is when Reuben goes and hurts you and hurts Shimon, Shimon shouldn't say for even a moment, even an iota, that he wants to then come against Reuben. Reuben is a nothing. Reuben is a tool. Hashem wants 
Reuben to do what he did. Shem wants Shimon to get the harm that he got, and there's no end to the bus about it. So I think what you see from the Archive here is a very is a very interesting understanding of the divine providence, which we don't really find once the sort of Arizal of the Kabbalah got accepted. This idea of the divine providence being on everything, on everybody, at all times, has become the basic rudimentary understanding of Yad, the understanding of the earlier the, the Maimonides and the Gerstanides and all the other big Spanish Portuguese thinkers on the idea of Ashkafi Project and as it relates to the Kibakashi, is nowhere near as absolute as that. But today, the Hasidic, the Kabbalistic thinkers, taking it to the extreme, we find that we share already like that, like the Chinook as an example. It's not 100% clear to me if the Archive always is consistent on this point. I don't know, but it is nevertheless worthwhile of showing how that we cover now for the next week's schedule, which, like I said, we're going to focus on Hanukkah if we have a chance to do it. And also brings up that even broader than anything next week, which is not just about murder, but even about robbery and presumably about other things. Our Archive seems to have one of the approaches of the Kirokovshis that is no longer popular today but nevertheless gives the human being the ability to really impact another, even against the divine will of the good